be seated. Let's pray together. If you'll close your eyes, bow your heads. You may feel led by God just to open your hands where you are this morning. Blessed be your name, God. Thank you for all you have done. Uh, God, I, I'm sure someone in this room has, has experienced a breakthrough in their life over this past week, either, either because of sin or in a relationship or in, in their job and life. And though we may not hear about it today, just in your presence, we give you thanks for your work in their lives. For those in this room who find themselves, maybe not in the pit of despair, but maybe they're close, we ask for your grace to sustain them today, for you to reveal yourself to them in powerful ways that you were the God who is involved, who steps into our brokenness. Uh, God, today, as you did many years ago, will you speak and take good news to the poor? Will you bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind? Proclaim the year of your favor over us today. And through the presence and power of your Holy Spirit, may Christ be formed in hearts through the words of my preaching. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And everyone said, and please uh, direct your eyes to the screen just for a moment. What? Uh, Abu says, uh, that's not fair. Oh, did he? Yeah, of course. And does Abu have anything else to say? Well, uh, he wishes there was something he could do to help. <laughs> Tell him that's very sweet. Do you trust me? What? Do you trust me? Yes. Then join! What? Uh. <laughs> Just give you a little sneak peek. Uh, the movie Aladdin, a classic, right? Can you believe this movie was made back in 1992? Does that make some of you feel old in the room? I mean, 1992 is 25 years ago. I mean, 1992 was the year that Zach and Kelly and Slater and Screech and Lisa graduated from Bayside High School. They celebrate 25 years this year. That's a Say by the Bell reference for some of you who may not know. Uh, And I've always loved this one scene in the movie Aladdin where there is this moment of fear and danger. And Aladdin reaches out his hand and says, do you trust me? I used this as a pickup line back in the days uh, on, on a girl one time. Uh, I wanted her to go on a date with me, and it went something like this. I was like, hey, I, I mean, you know, if you're not doing anything this weekend, how about we go to a movie and, and maybe go grab a bite to eat? And she's like, I, I don't really know. And I, I just, I reached out my hand. I'm not joking. I reached out my hand, and I said, do you trust me? And she looked at me like this. She went, are you quoting Aladdin to me as a pickup line? <laughs> And I was like, no, of course not. And I, I'm just glad 15 years later, I'm still married to that girl, all right? Uh, just joking. I mean, that was a, a long time ago. That, that date did not happen. Um, but this isn't the only time in the movie Aladdin that this, this moment happens. When he's getting on the magic carpet ride, he looks down at Jasmine, and he reaches out his hand again, and he says, do you trust me? So there's one time in the movie that what you just saw on the screen where there's this moment where they're in danger. People are uh, rushing, trying to capture them. And he reaches out his hand and she takes his hand and they jump. And there's another moment when he's on the magic carpet ride, uh, the, the magic carpet about to go on a ride. And he reaches out his hand and says, do you trust me? One is to get away from it, from danger. One is to go on this great adventure. 
And I'm sure there are times in your life that you've been like right there on the edge. And the hand of God is reaching out to you. And it's the voice of God, not the voice of Aladdin. The voice of God saying, do you trust me? And for her to take Aladdin's hand in that moment to go out the window, she has no clue what's on the other side of the window. She doesn't know where they're going, how far is the jump, how well has this been thought out. When she gets on the magic carpet, she doesn't know what the ride's going to be like, what's the adventure going to be. And for some of you, the hand of God is reaching out saying, do you trust me? And there are times we're sitting there and the hand of God is reaching out to us and we're not really sure what's on the other side of the window. We may be so comfortable in our own brokenness and sin that we don't take the hand because we are uncertain about what's on the other side or there's the magic carpet and there's this adventure God's inviting us on and we don't take the hand because we aren't really sure if the adventure is going to be worth it. And maybe today is the day that we take God's hand as he says, do you trust me? And for some of you, it may be, do you trust God for salvation and to give your life to Jesus? And for some, it's you've given your life to Jesus, but it's time for you to go deeper. It's time for you to join in a, in a greater adventure that God has for you. If you take God's hand and you take the leap and you go off the edge, it's a major risk. Uh, so we're starting what's going to be a 10-week series called Risk this morning. I'm, I'm really excited about this. The word risk isn't a word that shows up a lot in the Bible, doesn't show up a lot in the New Testament. There are a few places it does. Uh, in the NIV, NRSV, most versions you read, you'll find the word risk there. And here are three places in the New Testament where you have the word risk. I just want to read these quickly, and I want you to think about when you see the word risk, how does it, like, how does it play out in that passage? One is in Acts chapter 15, verse 25 and 20. This is when the leaders have come together to talk about how Jews and Gentiles have been grafted into the same story. And here's what it says. So we all agreed to choose some men and to send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 16, verse 3 and 4, it's Greek Priscilla and Aquila, this dynamic married preaching team. My co-workers in Christ Jesus, they risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. In Philippians 2, 29 and 30, uh, Paul writes, So then, welcome him in the Lord, talking about Epaphroditus. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. When you see risk in those three places, it's about risking a life for someone else. It's this, this life they have found that is worth investing into the point that they may not keep their lives. Pretty crazy, right? When you think about the word risk, what do you think of? Is it positive or negative? Uh, you don't have to tell me. I'm just leaving the question out there. Uh, the word risk, if you look it up in a dictionary, uh, I mean, it, it goes something like this. I mean, the word risk, it's, it's exposure to, to, a, to injury or pain. I mean, almost any risk, I guess any risk you take in life, there's this exposure that you may regret it. There may be guilt. It may not go right. However, if you don't take a risk, and you don't set yourself up and become vulnerable and take a jump, there may be something so much better for you that you never experienced because you didn't, you didn't take the risk. Risk is also a dangerous choice. All right, now, when you think about uh, risk, I don't know exactly what comes to mind. When you hear the word risk, if we just took a poll when you were walking in church this morning, what comes to mind when you think about the word risk? For some of you, you would think about the board game. 
Some of you are gamers. You play Monopoly. You play the game Live. Maybe you play a game Risk, a video game called Risk. Uh, for some of you, when you think about Risk, maybe you think about certain jobs. Uh, maybe you watch some of the shows of people who fish out in the seas or they're, they're, uh, stuff like this, which is something many of you in this room, many of us would never do. But you think about risky jobs. I, I mean, seriously, some of you have jobs where you're firefighters, you're, you're police officers. Every day you leave, every day you have someone who's in one of those those risky jobs, every day they leave, you find yourself praying for the protection of God to be around them. Some of you, when you think about risk, you think about poker, gambling, and maybe not because you play, but you see billboards, you see commercials, and any form of gambling, it's a, it's a form of risk. When you think of risk, some of you think about investment, um, stuff like this, right? I'm sure Randy Lillard, these are the images that are in people like, people like him. These are the images in their offices, right? Risking an, an investment or, I mean, if you go to the next one, there are things we do with our money sometimes. Are, are we going to, uh, you know, invest in, in rental homes? Are we going to buy things? For some of them, when you think about risk, you think about adventures, about hiking, about jumping out of perfectly good airplanes. You think about going out deep sea fishing. You think about those kind of adventures. Some of you, when you think about risk, you think about risking in relationships. After all, there was no marriage represented in this room where risk was not involved. The risk of asking someone out, the risk of asking someone to marry, the risk of diving into this covenant that God has set up. Um, it, when you think about risk, some of you think about risking and buying cars, buying homes, buying uh, assets. Some of you may think about it because we're in a church setting. You may think about missionaries who... who Many of them risk a lot to leave their place they call home, to go somewhere else, to make their home, to invest in other people in the name of Jesus. I want you to think about a couple of things this morning. What does risky faith mean? Uh, like, what kind of risk have you ever taken in your faith? Have you ever taken a risk to know God better? And this is, there are a lot of different ways we could talk about risking in faith so that we can know God better. But any time we lay a prayer before the Lord to know God better, to have a, more cravings for God, a hunger for God, any time we do that, we're becoming vulnerable. There's exposure to some pain, not because God loves to induce pain and cause pain, but because any transformation usually has a little pain that goes with it. And anytime we want to know God better means something in our life needs to go away or needs to be put into perspective. Uh, Casey and I both, we uh, started college in 1999. For both of us, we grew up in church cultures where fasting was not something that we were taught, that we practiced, even though it shows up in the Bible over 70 times. But when we got to college, we had this spiritual mentor of ours that encouraged us as college students to practice fasting to know God better, which was to give up something where we would feel what we were giving up so that we could be filled with the Spirit of God. In 2002, Casey and I, we got married. We were 21. Uh, we got married in May. This mentor of ours who was raised, born and raised Church of Christ, but had been practicing the season of Lent for a while. It was just a season of reflection leading up to Easter that could orient him and center him. And he challenged us to practice Lent, to go through seven weeks where we gave up something that would cause us to focus on God. And we thought, hey, why not? We want a marriage that's based on God, founded on God. So we're, we were going to honor seven weeks of leading up to Easter, of just immersing ourselves in the life and teachings of Jesus, of how the cross and the resurrection was forming and shaping us so that we could enter into a marriage uh, on this solid foundation. So my first Lent in 2002, I gave up meat. I took a major risk. I wasn't giving up like 
a Snickers candy bar, meat. I'm a meatitarian up until the age of one. Like, I, I've never gone a day without eating meat. So for seven weeks, I did not eat beef and chicken, which is basically all you have in Abilene, Texas. Casey, on the other hand, gave up desserts. Now, Casey and I both are dessertitarians, all right, which is a, a real word, all right? Just trust me on it. Uh, which, you know, was hard for her. But what we didn't think about was the conflict this would cause in every day we had for seven weeks. Because no matter where we went, Mexican food, uh, Olive Garden, chilies, it didn't matter where we went. I wasn't eating meat. She wasn't eating desserts. I'm eating salad, soups, and pastas. She's eating beef enchiladas and ordering fajitas that were sizzling on plates. And then we would sit and we would eat as I'm so jealous. And I can't believe this woman I'm about to marry is doing this right in front of me. And then the waiter would come by and would say, uh, is there any room in you for dessert? And Casey would say, no, we're fine. And I would say, yes, there is. There's a lot of room in me for dessert. <laughs> well, you bring one of those sampler platters and just put it right in front of me. Right? But for seven weeks, we practiced this. And on Easter Sunday, we celebrated with the church, and we went, and I had my first taste of meat in seven weeks. She had her first taste of chocolate cake after seven weeks. We wept because Jesus had never been more alive for us than in that moment. I don't know what risks you've ever taken in your faith to know God better. But then there are also risks of serving God, right? Not just knowing God better and ways of praying and fasting and diving in the word and wanting to become more righteous before him, but how we serve God, how we're looking for ways God's expanding our horizon and taking us outside of our comfort, comfort zones, leading us to new places. But here's, here's a foundation that I want to help build the next 10 weeks on. When it comes to having a faith that's risky, it doesn't begin with you. It doesn't begin with effort. It doesn't begin with what you do for God, what you give to God, what you show God. It doesn't begin with any of that risky faith. And what it's all about begins with God. We only know how to take risks in our faith because God has modeled what it means to, to take risks. We only know because God was willing to take, make a dangerous choice in stepping into human flesh. I mean, for God to become human, and we talk about this around Christmas every year, for God to become human, to come in the form of Jesus as a human being. He was setting himself up for sickness, betrayal, to have people who would say, well, because you do that, I'm not going to be your friend. I mean, he was setting himself up for all kind of pain that every human endures. All right, so just for God to become human was a risk. For Jesus to be willing and obedient the Bible talks about when Jesus died on the cross, he actually had a choice. Uh, and the Bible honors and celebrates Jesus. In the book of Hebrews, there are other places where Jesus became obedient even to the point of death. All right, so Jesus made a choice to die. What you don't read about, and let's just celebrate the moment of Jesus dying and making that choice to die just for a moment, is you don't read that Jesus had a conversation with God that went down like this, as if Jesus said, hey, I, 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 there are certain sins I will die for, but there are some sins I don't want to be placed on me on the cross. All right, when it came to Jesus dying, he wasn't reluctant to only die or to die for certain sins. Jesus took the approach of put them all on me. Jesus' risk to die meant that every sin that has been committed since the history of humanity all the way up to now was placed on him at the cross. He absorbed it all. 
and the ground around the cross is level. We all come to the cross on the same ground. And Jesus absorbed and took upon himself death, which meant he would be separated from God during that time because God cannot be where sin is. And not only that, for Jesus to choose to die meant that the first time in his life he was going to be 100% dependent upon God fulfilling what God said he would do. Because up until that point in Jesus' life, any form of pain he endured, any form of betrayal, he could pray his way through it, talk to God through it, have angels attend to him while he went through it. But when he died, there would be no praying to God about it. There would be no God, uh, there would be no angels serving him. He would be completely dead, trusting that God would raise him back to life. He risked with his birth. He risks with his death. But I want to focus just for a moment this morning how Jesus risked with his life. Uh, if you grew up in churches where you knew many creeds or you've sung these songs, even if you didn't know it, like the Nicene Creed, you know, we believe in God the Father, we believe in Christ the Son, we believe in the Spirit. Most of the creeds would go straight from the birth to the death. And we honor and celebrate the birth of Jesus and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, but there's so much living that Jesus did in between birth and death. Look in Luke chapter 4. Let me lay just a brief foundation this morning. I want to build on this in the weeks to come. In Luke chapter 4, I believe this is the thesis. And you can write this in your notes, in your margins, in your Bible. And many scholars agree, or I guess I have learned from many scholars, that in Luke chapter 4, it is the thesis of the book of Luke and the book of Acts. In many ways, this becomes a table of contents of what the rest of Luke is going to be about. And not just Luke, but what Acts is about too. They're written by the same person. And what Jesus did, how he lived in the book of Luke, the church practices in the book of Acts. And in Luke chapter 4, you have this thesis, and it's like this. Let's begin in verse uh, 14. Jesus, who returned from Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. If you uh, look in Luke chapter 4, you go home and read it. The Holy Spirit shows up a lot. It's the Spirit who is leading Jesus into the wilderness, giving him power in the wilderness, leading him out of the wilderness. The Spirit of God comes into your life to both bring comfort, but to also lead you to take some risks for God. All right, verse 16. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. This was normal for Jesus. This was his hometown. These are people he knew. Uh, when I, I've gone back to preach at some of the places where I grew up, and I can't tell you how many times people come up and they're like, we remember what you used to be like as a kid. We remember the things you did in middle school and high school and the little groups you formed to wrap every person's house in the church with toilet paper without them knowing about it. We remember those stories. And to see you preaching now, we're just amazed. We never thought this would happen. I was speaking two weeks ago in Russellville, Arkansas, and one of the guys running a booth out in the lobby was my dorm dad, my freshman year of college. And he came up and he was like, man, and I don't want to share some of the stories of my freshman year of college this morning, all right? But he came up and he was like, dude, after some of the things you did, I never thought I would see you in this moment today, all right? Now, they were raised with Jesus, and Jesus was a perfect human who never sinned, but they saw him, and you're going to see it in a few moments where even people, if you read the rest of, if you read the rest of Luke 4, where even there are times where people are like, this is Jesus, like the son of the carpenter? The person who was raised in Nazareth? This is his hometown, Nazareth. It's the Sabbath day. It's his custom to go into the synagogues, and it says he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. 
And Jesus is now quoting from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to, and I just kind of broke it up on the screen for you. Here are the bullet points. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. All right, when you look at what's on the screen right now, if you'll go back to that that last one, let me focus on that just for a moment. Or, Or in your Bibles, if you look at verse 18 and 19, don't be quick to spiritualize this. Jesus came with his ministry had spiritual implications. Of course, every story does. It also had physical, economic implications. Jesus came for those who have been pushed to the margins, who have been told they're not good enough or they're not going to make it. Jesus stepped into their life. The good thing about Luke 4, 18 and 19, which becomes the thesis for Luke and Acts, the table of contents for the rest of the book of Luke, is that the promises Jesus brought were promises he was stepping into. These were promises that he was going to embody. That when it came to Jesus being good news to the poor, it's Jesus committing to coming and walking alongside of the poor, to stepping into the lives of the blind, the oppressed, those who were in need of a message of freedom and liberty. It was proclamation in Luke 4, but it's proclamation that Jesus is going to step into the rest of his ministry to live out, to declare with both his mouth and his body. This became everything he was. All right, so look in verse 20. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. This is what I love. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. It was like people, it wasn't good enough. Whatever sermon Jesus just gave, people are ready for him to step back up and to keep preaching because they wanted more. This has only happened to me one time in my life, all right? Of all the sermons I've ever given, I was preaching in a prison. And they have two-hour worship services in most prisons, And I only preached like a 10 or 12 minute sermon and I sat down and nobody moved. And then a couple of inmates were like, dude, get back up. We have more time. And if an inmate tells you to get back up, you get back up. So I got back up and started preaching more. It's the only time it ever happened to me. But here it's like all these eyes are just fixed on Jesus. Because what he had just read is what so many people have been waiting for. For a Messiah to come and claim to be what Isaiah 61 said. Their eyes were fixed on him, and Jesus said this, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And if you keep reading Luke 4, it goes from this moment where people were amazed at his teaching to a few verses later, they are ready to throw him off a cliff. How's that for a first day in public ministry, right? Man, they love him, and then he challenges them on relationships, and that God's going to let Gentiles into his kingdom, and they are ready to throw him off a cliff. We only know how to risk because Jesus has modeled it. I know we have uh, a family here, the Hartmans, who are about to go to a place in the world to be missionaries. And I'm sure there are people who have been like, dude, you're crazy to raise your kids there. I know a family, they were serving in a country in northern Africa. It was a country where a lot of Christians are persecuted. Not many Christians are allowed in. And there were people sitting with them, and they were asking, like, Why you're sitting here telling us stories about riots and people coming by the homes of Christians and blowing them up and doing that, and you're raising your kids there, and there's this statement these missionaries made that even if you don't agree with it, you've got to admit it needs to mess with you a little bit. And they said, well, in the Great Commission, what Jesus says is that you go. 
Jesus never said anything about coming back. It's that the call for the church is to go. And we trust that God's going to work the rest out, either in this life or the next. All right, so I think every good sermon needs to have like a next step. So here's the next step. Is um, what's a risk you can take this week for God? And, you know, sometimes it's like, okay, let's think about the bold risks. And I don't know this week in your life if God is asking you to do what Jesus asked, like the rich young ruler to do, to sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then follow Jesus. Or, or there may not be those bold risks in your life where someone in this room is asked to leave your home and to go serve God somewhere else. But let's think about this. What is the meaningful risk, an intentional, meaningful risk you can take this week? I, I, laid this, I had this conversation with my kids last night. They're nine and seven. And as a family, what we talked about last night was, okay, let's be asking God, and we're going to come back on Sunday night, and we're going to talk about it. Like, what is a meaningful risk we can take this week? A risk in a relationship? A risk by encouraging someone? What is just one thing that we can risk? Um, Bob Goff wrote a book a few years ago, bestseller. It's called Love Does. And in the book, he has this chapter where he talks about failure. And the first time I read it, because he starts off this one section about failure, and he says, God created us to fail. And I read that sentence, and I was like, uh, I'm not really sure I agree with that, but you don't really agree with Bob Goff, all right? I have too much respect for this guy. And what he talked about is that in life, God didn't create us as babies who know how to walk. We fell, and we fell again, and we fell again until we learned how to walk. When it comes to development, there are things we do that we fall, but then God picks us up, and we keep trying. It's how it is in faith. I just know for me, I came to a point 12, 15 years ago in my life where I do not want God to visit me one day and say, Josh, why are you always playing it safe? I don't want God to come to the church one day and to say, why are y'all always playing it safe? There's a time for comfort, and comfort comes from God. But then there's a time when God is moving people outside of comfort for the good of his kingdom. And we just want to be able to discern where that voice of God is in our lives this week. All right, so for the women and men who are serving the bread and the cup, will you go ahead and go to the back? Go ahead and get the trays. As they go to the back to to get the bread, can we bow our heads together? And let me just guide us in a moment of prayer. I want to ask everyone here to do it. Even if there are kids listening to my voice right now, true to Noah, you're nine and seven. True, I want you to do this, okay? So even kids, I want you to participate. Can you bow your heads, close your eyes? Feel free to open your hands if you're willing. Just right there in your lap, open your hands. And I just want you to have a moment with God this morning where first and foremost... Just quietly where you are, will you thank God that Jesus stepped into this world, stepped into our brokenness, stepped into our sin, took a risk to spread redemption. Will you just take a moment and thank God for that? just for a moment, I want you to ask, God, what do you want of me today? Just lay that before the Lord. God, what do you want? How do you want to grow me? How do you want to use me?
lastly, will you just take a moment where you pray for this church to be a church that is not afraid to be risky, follow God wherever it is God is leading us. And God, in this moment, as we take the bread, we thank you, Jesus, that as God asked you to trust him to bring about salvation through the world, which included your death on a cross, that you followed through with it, that you were obedient, and that we get to receive the power that came from that, that moment and that time. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and celebrate. Amen.